SLAS Technology Podcast. I'm David Pector. Today we have the pleasure of Richard Eglin joining us. He's the Vice President and General Manager at Corning Life Science, and he is the editor of a exciting special collection, Advances in 3D Organoid Cell Culture. Welcome to SLAS Technology Podcast. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic. I work with people who did some organoid work, and I always, when they described it, everyone was riveted by it. And I've also had discussions here on the podcast about 3D cell culture, but I think things have come quite a long way. So why don't you give us an overview of the issue, and then we can kind of dig into some questions. Yeah, sure. What we're doing with this special issue is we wanted to bring together two very fast-moving areas in this field, one of which is the use of human cells derived from induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs, as well as the increasing use of three-dimensional cell culture, particularly organoids, in both research and drug discovery. And It occurred to myself, as well as uh, folks who have contributed papers to the issue, that these two fields are moving very, very quickly. That is, culturing cells using iPS cells, both in 3D and producing organoids. So the overview of the special paper collection is really just to cover that. We have a couple of in-depth reviews with the use of these two technologies. And we also then have three primary research papers illustrating the applications of these technologies and some of the newer technologies required to expedite the use both in research and in some areas of drug discovery, disease modeling, and and so on. So our, our goal is really to sort of talk about two areas right at the peak of when they're really starting to come sharply into focus. And uh, we're very pleased with both the papers in the issue and hopefully the excitement that this issue will generate as well. Yeah, and I think it will. And also, I didn't mention, but Corning Life Sciences is sponsoring free access to all articles in the special collection as soon as it's published, which is really great. So I had in my notes that the first podcast was four years ago. I looked more closely at six years ago, and Mm -hmm. one of the first talks we had was about 3D cell culture. And at the time, one of the challenges was translating those results and instilling confidence so that researchers could pin their programs, really, on the results that they were getting. So it sounds like there's been some change since then. How would you characterize that? Sure, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a couple of things that have happened very, very quickly. One has been is that many of the protocols which were research intensive pretty laborious and and hard to do on a on a high sort of throughput basis have now been reduced to practice such that you can in fact utilize the, these technologies fairly routinely for example growing of spheroids in the same assay microtiter plate for which you also will do the assay is now routine and um, has now been taken not just into 96-well microtiter plates, but now has been taken into 1536 microtiter plates. So 
really starts to step into the domain of ultra high throughput screening. So there's that point that's coming. I think the second point is coming is the use of human iPSC cells has started to become more routine such that the procedures by which you can transform these cells into the cells for which you have a desire to look under study is becoming more and more robust and more and more routine, particularly in the area of lead optimization and where you can assess potential toxicity problems or potential metabolic problems of these compounds before they go into early clinical trials. So that's becoming more and more robust. And I think finally, the area that's got my excitement level up, I guess, if you like, is these are really starting to find their place in terms of being very strong models for looking at various diseases, particularly Mm. diseases, you know, not just diseases of cancer, for example, but diseases of the cardiovascular system and increasingly diseases of the nervous system as well. So I guess the overall point is these things are now being reduced to practice. They're getting more robust. They're moving out of the research lab into the screening labs. And as a result, there's increasing adoption of them as well. Has there been a, this is kind of a detail, but has there been a move away from using built-up matrices and moving to things like spheroids and organoids? Because I think at the time, this going back to this early talk, it was about a matrix that was built up, a scaffolding, if you will. There's certainly been a move towards using spheroids in particular, because now you can robustly grow go spheroids in a microtiter plate without the need for scaffolds. And you okay. can do it on a fairly routine basis. And as I mentioned, you can even do this in 1536 microtiter plates now. So that, that sort of made it easier to work with them. I think maybe we can touch on this, David, is there's also been a development in the use of scaffolds that people want to look at that are synthetically derived. They're not necessarily all derived from, say, matrigel. So um, as people develop some of these new polymers to develop scaffolds, then people can develop different sorts of model organ systems as well. So, Polio, you know, there's been a a change in the use of spheroids and a change in the use of synthetic materials to do scaffold-dependent three-dimensional okay. cell culture as well. I worked on the technology side supporting Flipper for many years, and that seems very wedded to 2D culture with its window on the cells. So what's happened mm. on the instrumentation side that enables 3D culture screening? Yeah, so, I mean, sort of right to that point, there is now, for example, and it's easy, it's easy just to describe an example, there's been no development of human iPSC-derived cardiac myocyte grown in spheroids. And when they're grown in this spheroidal 3D sort of arrangement, they will actually start to spontaneously beat just like a human myocardium. Yes, and I've in, seen in, this, in, yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and in fact, in, in those cells, they'll be loaded up with a fluorescent dye, and you can measure the beat-to-beat changes in the level of fluorescence in the cardiomyocyte in a 3D spheroid, and read that on something like a flipper. So 
in examples like that, you're now starting to get the fluorescent readout in a standard plate reader like the flipper, but you also have the advantage that you're doing it with human-derived cells in a 3D system. And they, they exhibit all the right pharmacology that, that you would expect of that. But that's sort of kind of one real concrete example of how this has gone into standard plate readers such as the flipper systems. I think the other point is there's been rapid advancements in the imaging field in general. The ability of people to do high content screening, to do confocal microscopy of okay. these cell structures in 3D has also accelerated. And uh, many of the instrument vendors developing imaging instrumentation have developed them such that they are very applicable to 3D culture and, of course, the whole of the software associated with that as well. I see. Wow. So a lot of things have come forward. So clearly, Corning is very much part of this simultaneous development of labware, equipment, cell culture, technologies, genetic engineering, and your sponsorship is a perfect example. So tell us about your internal efforts at Corning and how you coordinate with the wider research community. We've sort of focused, I guess, um, less on the biology and more on the the biomaterials that would be used to support the biologists. So, for example, we've developed a series of these ultra-low attachment steroid plates. And what those do is, because they're ultra-low attachment, the cells don't stick to the surface. The cells will preferentially come together and they will form their spheroid. And we develop that technology into a whole series of different microtiter plate formats, uh, as I said, including the 1536 plate as well. That's one area where, where we've gone. The other area we've gone is to develop different surfaces for use with other sorts of cell types. And then, of course, because Matrogel is available from Corning as well, it's one of our major products in this space, then there's a whole area oh, whereby people are, people are doing organoid culture, for example, in these kind of systems. So that's, that's one example. The other example where we've stepped deeper into this area is facilitating the ability of people to do cell movement assays. So cell migration in 3D is a very high interest area for many people because you can mimic uh, cells that may cross the blood-brain barrier. You can mimic cells and drugs that may cross the, the, the gut barrier as well. And we've developed systems by which people can do all of this in, in 3D. And then the final area is that Corning a step deeper into the area of uh, liver cells when grown in 3D because we have a whole series of liver cells. We do a lot of metabolic testing for folks as well as have liver cells ourselves. And it turns out that growing liver cells in three dimensions is um, the optimal way in which you see liver cell physiology. So we've developed systems particularly around metabolic profiling of compounds using corning liver cells in three dimensions and the results are more predictive of what you'd see in the clinic than if you did it in two dimensions there as well i'm curious how do you keep in touch you're providing the things you provide right but they're yeah responding to the needs of the community so how do you keep in touch with what the community of science is looking for not easy. I mean, this is a this is a fast-moving field. You know, there are thousands of papers published every year in this space, and 
you just go into Google Scholar, you can see these things growing sort of exponentially. So to stay on the forefront of this, of course, we do a lot of interactions with customers either in a drug discovery organization or customers in an academic setting. And they will be developing application data with them where they'll use our technologies in areas that we didn't originally foresee and we will help them move into these other areas. As we develop new technologies, they become strong partners with us in terms of alpha and beta testing of these mm. products as well so we can make sure they actually perform correctly. And then, of course, we will deliver scientific seminars, we'll deliver keynote addresses at various meetings. And in fact, even at the SLAS last year, our head of development in Corning presented a podium talk in, in one of the sessions on 3D cell culture. So we're actually speaking as well as presenting at scientific meetings, as well as all the other activities with, with the various uh, customers as well there. I would say we view it as an area that has got some very strong biology and Corning can really facilitate this area by bringing some strong bioengineering and some strong material science to this area as well. So it's a, almost a perfect fit for us there. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I know that something like having, you know, the 1536 spheroid plate, I mean, that makes all the difference, right? If you don't have that versus having it, I mean, that's just great. Well, I want to thank you for joining us on the SOS Technology Podcast. We had the pleasure of speaking with Richard Eglin about the special collection, Advances in 3D and Organoid Cell Culture. I'm David Pector. Mm-hmm.